Welcome to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRAR. I'm Alex Gehring. And, and I'm, I'm Sean Mueller. And I, there you go. We're here with guest host Sean Mueller. Bobby couldn't make it today. And you all know Sean from, I think, just the last episode. You're getting a heavy dose of Sean. Help which me. Is they, good. They, they've, they've kidnapped me and locked me in this recording studio. It's very helpful. So uh, let's talk really quickly about the market. Uh, people are still getting to know you a little bit. Um, tell us, uh, one of the things that I love about you, uh, you're, you're very analytical. You'll go above and beyond to get uh, data uh, that's going to help uh, people interpret the marketplace. There's something that you do in your office that you were going to share, I think, and um, go for it. I'm curious to hear your findings. Yeah, so there's a question that I ask my agents every week, and it boils down to that question that, that we all receive almost daily as as realtors, and that is, how's the market? Or what's the market doing, et cetera, et cetera. And I believe that it's human nature that we have a tendency to sort of drift into anecdote, right? That's, that's sort of our defense mechanism when maybe we don't know all the hard facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's okay. Like there, in, in real estate, surely there is room for both the art and science of, of what we do. Uh, but I think sometimes when we get purely anecdotal, I think that, you know, when you have an agent who's done nothing but watch the news, just like the consumer, I think that sometimes that anecdote can sort of lead down the wrong path. And certainly data and facts can also be skewed, however somebody wants them to be skewed. But I think it's useful so, so to, to really know the data. And so something that I do with my agents every week is I review all of the sales contracts that have been turned in. And it's blended. So like I, don't, I don't distinguish between listing sales and buyer sales. It's just mm-hmm. all together. And I track certain data points that I share with them. And, and, and very often they are surprised. And um, I, I actually have collected the last 96 sales uh, from my office uh, to share today, just a little bit, just a little peek behind the curtain of the types of information that I share with my agents so that when they are speaking to a consumer, that, that they're coming from a more informed place that, that is a little less anecdotal and a little bit more factual. Sure. A little less, uh, how's the market? Oh, it's hard. Mm-hmm. And a little more, well, this is what's happening. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, that's great. So uh, what, what are your findings? So I track several categories and I'll just I'll kind of run you through it. You can, you can play little guessing games with me. Okay. Um, the first thing I do is I say, how many of our contracts that were turned in over the last week had no special conditions? And, and what I mean by that is it was just a, a at-list price sale. There were, there were no extra addendums or anything like that included. Uh, out of 96, out of my last 96, what do you think that number might be? That had no special conditions. So mm-hmm. like no occupancy after closing. It's just, a, just like nothing. Correct. Okay. Um, out of 96... I'm going to guess 52. 52. That's a great guess, but unfortunately a little high. Okay. Seven. <laughs> Seven. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Out wow. of the last 96 sales. So that's, um, that's crazy. Yeah. 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 Now, here are the numbers that might start to surprise you okay. even more. How many of those out of 96 sales do you think were over list price? And, and, and again, I'm, I'm just talking about the initial sale. I'm not talking about renegotiations or anything like that, but just over list price. What per, how many of how them many? were over list price of the 92? 96, yeah. Of the 96, mm-hmm. okay. Um, my guess is uh, 
Hold on, just a second. So the first time you asked the question, where no special conditions, you weren't talking about overlist price as one of the special right. conditions. Just a, just a, it, you might have been overlist price, but that's not a special condition. No, right? no, that is, uh, that's one of my special. That conditions. is one of the. Yeah. Okay, all right. Well, yep. that makes more sense. Yep. All right, that makes more sense. So that helps me too. Mm-hmm. I bet. Uh, I bet it was uh, eighty nine of them. Forty seven price. Oh my gosh. Forty seven. Wow. Out of ninety six, so less than half were over list price. Oh my gosh. Does that surprise you? That does surprise yeah. me. Yeah. Um, and then it, moving on to at list price, what do you think? At list price. And it wasn't just seven. Wasn't just seven. Okay. We're going to go with 23. You're pretty close. 19. Okay. So I am starting yep. to get better here. Yeah. All right. And all so right. I don't know if you did the math real fast in your ha- and in your head, but how many under list price? Uh, I didn't do the math really fast in my <laughs> head, uh, but I'm going to go with uh, um, 22. Also close, 30. 30, okay. 30. Right. So yeah. if you combine the the at list and under list, that is more than half of those 96 sales. Wow. And wow. I think that is something that, that can be sobering and shocking for an agent. So talk to me about what other special conditions we're seeing. So so people like jump straight to price, mm-hmm. obviously, like I did. Mm-hmm. What are the other special conditions uh, that we're seeing on a regular basis? Okay, so I think one that's the probably the most worthy of talking about is our in its present condition at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And and you and I both know there's three boxes on there, right? Box one is? Uh, Box one is you can't renegotiate. You can't renegotiate, but you can back out, right? That's right. Okay. So box two is? You can inspect, but you can't walk away. Right. And then box three, of course, is? Can't do anything. Can't do anything. So how many of those do you think were box one? Oh, probably... uh, now that I uh, now that you've gone through most of the other conditions, uh, my guess is, uh, I'll say I'll say seventy. Okay, we're going to come back to that seventy number because okay. it's actually correct about something. But forty two, forty two, forty two. Okay, um, and then box two, box two, uh, fourteen, nine. So nine. you're close on there. And then uh, box three, four, nineteen. What? Nineteen. So. That's you got the 70 number, right? Because it was 70. There were 70 in its present condition Total. addendums used. Yep. Okay. Um, but but uh, it was 42, 9, and 19. Wow. So 73% of oh contracts that were turned in uh, over what I was counting. That makes sense. Yeah. 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 Okay. Wow. Mm-hmm. Crazy. What about appraisal mods? So appraisal mods. If um, we're not going over list price so much, I assume appraisal mods aren't being used quite as much either. Not as much. And and uh, you know, you and I both worked on the 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 appraisal mods. So you know, with box one where you know they've got that gap coverage, um, that was fifteen. Fifteen of our contracts okay. had had box one. Box two, which is you know they'll they'll make up any difference from from zero dollars up to the up to the sale price was only three. Wow. Only three of those. And then a complete waiver of the appraisal, five. Five. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Awesome. Very interesting. What Do you have uh, metrics on cash sales for uh, that percentage? No, I well? haven't been tracking cash versus financed. I yeah. will say it was pretty, I would say, you know, anecdotally, unfortunately, right. but I would say it was pretty hefty towards finance sales. Now, Sean, what's the average sale price in your office? 
Oh gosh, because that's kind of an important factor. And, and you're asking me those statistics right well, now. Well, the only reason why I'm asking is because it is an important factor, <laughs> yeah. right? Yes, it so, is. So we might see. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see fewer people going way over ask if your average sale price is is a little bit higher. Right. Right. Correct. And I would say that your average sale it, price it is, is a little, a little higher, higher than yeah. yeah 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 than than typical. You're you're there in Prairie Village. I mean, um, we we waiver you know typical year it. And it, and again, it depends on the time of year. Yeah. It can bounce yeah. anywhere from you know three fifty up to about five, yeah. uh, depending. Yeah, so. yeah, pretty, pretty. So that's pretty high. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. high. But but it's still, that's really fascinating data. And and I don't think, um, and it's one of the things that um, I love to talk to Kip about. And I'm sure that we'll we'll talk to him a little bit uh, about it today. But one of the things that we uh, really pride ourselves in at the MLS is focusing on. Uh, the value of our data. But the reality is that the data that we provide our subscribers is limited basically to sale price and uh, the characteristics and traits of uh, homes, Mm -hmm. um, days on market, um, et cetera. We're not diving into the uh, other terms of the contract. We also struggle sometimes to dive into uh, buy-side analytics. Mm -hmm. So we're always looking at uh, the... Uh, listing data, right? We're never, it, there are other programs that do this, but as an MLS, we're very rarely giving the number of searches, we'll say, that uh, have a specific characteristic. So we don't tell people how many searches are in place in the MLS that are looking at Prairie Village. Right. Um, I can't uh, take a home or look at my listing and see how many searches are created in the MLS. Now, now I've got reverse prospecting, right. but that does something different. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that is, and, and not everybody has it turned on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to see uh, how many hits I'm getting too. We can see that. Right. Uh, there's a there's a spot in the MLS that that. Gets Gives us that. I just wish that we were a little meatier mm-hmm. um, on on some of that data, um, and I, I hope that Kip talks a little bit about it. There are some programs uh, that do that that we're looking at, um, but I'm not confident that they're uh, giving us everything we need to know. The data that you're tracking here is extremely useful. Um, so, um, kudos to you for uh, for watching all that so closely. I know that takes some extra work. It does. It's it's a little bit of digging. It's yeah. you know, but it's I have found that that is uh, something that my agents look forward to every week. They want to know. Yeah. They're hungry for that data. For sure, for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, let's see. Um, we've mentioned that Kip's coming on. Do you know Kip? We've met a couple of times. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, Kip's awesome. Mm-hmm. Kip's our CEO. He's been here for quite a while. Um, he loves to talk, so a podcast is perfect for them. And I say that with love. Uh, Kip, Kip, Kip's a talker. There will be no shortage of conversation uh, on this episode, even without Bobby. Uh, he's going to give us kind of a mid-year update on what's going on with the housing market um, and also the area development in the Kansas City region. He is a uh, is he a board member of the Kansas City? Yeah, so he's a board member of the Kansas City uh, Area Development Committee Council. Um, KCADC, um, and uh, that's a huge benefit to us as an uh, association, uh, that the information that he comes back with uh, and can provide to us is so critical. Uh, he helped us play a role in uh, assisting with the airport um, and a variety of other things that KCADC has uh, needed our help with. So um, really excited to have Kip on to talk to us about these things. Now, 
we, we've got to kind of do a role reversal because mm-hmm. um, we're in kind of an unusual situation here since Bobby's not here. But I actually have a book bit. I, I need you to do the theme song. Okay, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna sing, and then we'll hear some dogs yeah. howl in the distance. Okay, and uh, and it'll be great. Okay, okay, go <laughs> for it. Book bit with Alex. Yeah, hey, that you know what? That's pretty good. <laughs> We're gonna take that. We're gonna take that. Uh, book bit with Alex. the The alliteration is only two thirds of the way there. Well, I, I've actually been on kind of a reading kick um, here in the. I talked about it with Bobby last time we were in studio, but um, I've kind of been uh, revitalizing uh, my morning routine here recently. Um, and uh, one of the uh, influencers um, that, that have really helped me with that is uh, Sean Stevenson. Are you familiar with Sean Stevenson? Mm-hmm. So he's written a good number of books, and then he's also the uh, host of a podcast called The uh, Model Health Show. And uh, one of the books that uh, he's written is Sleep Smarter. Uh, Sleep Smarter has completely changed uh, my sleeping habits. It's completely formulated uh, my morning routine and my evening routine. So I'll share a little bit about that. Um, So there's not a chapter in the book about uh, kids. There's not a chapter in the book uh, about um, caring for ailing family members. Um, If you care for an elderly family member, um, there's not a chapter in the book for that. So a lot of the things that I'm going to say, I recognize that a lot of people just don't have the capacity in their lives to implement a lot of these things. But one of the things that's so cool about the way that Sean approaches um, everything, and I know that like we talk to our agents about this all the time. There are things that you can control. Even when it feels like there's nothing that you can control, there are things that I'm doing now that I can control that makes that situation better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's I'm going to go over some of those control factors. So one of the things that Sean likes to talk about um, is that morning routine. You, you can't have a good sleep schedule if your morning routine sucks. Um, and one of the things that he talks a lot about is uh, kind of turning on that circadian circadian rhythm first thing in the morning uh, and getting daylight first thing in the morning. So here's my morning routine right now. I get up. I drink 17 ounces of water because Sean says it's good. I have to also have to say my wife tells me that I have like a cult complex. Okay, so I find a cult leader and then I follow this person like crazy. I will read every single thing that he's ever put out. I'll listen, I've listened to literally half of his podcast episodes at this point. I will listen to all of them. I mean, it's just this is what I do. So I dive all the way in um, on somebody like this um, when they resonate with me. Uh, but 17 ounces of water, and the reason for it is because it is proven scientifically that 17 ounces of water will actually kickstart your metabolism. 45 minutes after you have those 17 ounces of water, you are already burning calories, right? Your metabolism is ticking, and at that point, um, I've already read for 30 minutes, right? Which is why I'm reading more right now. Once I'm done uh, reading, I'm out on a walk for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm getting that sunlight. I can't go in the rain, so it's been a little rainy these last few days. That's not happening. But I'm getting that sunlight. If you get more sunlight throughout the day, your body is going to recognize uh, more readily that it's nighttime when it gets darker. And that's going to send you into a really natural sleep pattern. 
it takes a long time, though. I'll tell you that I feel like it took like a full month for that to actually start to take some kind mm-hmm. of an effect. The next thing, and this is something that realtors really struggle with, and it's something that I've struggled with and I've been very open about, um, is uh, both caffeine and alcohol. Um, let's start with caffeine. The reality is that I used to chug uh, two venti pike places every day which, by the way, is 800 milligrams of caffeine, Wow. okay? And I, I wouldn't pause. It didn't matter how hot it would be. I'd literally, like, gulp immediately when I got it, okay? So 800 milligrams of caffeine. On top of that, every day, I would have an energy drink, okay? So I'd have an energy... It's true. Uh, Amber's giving me a face, but this is legit. And people in this building know this because they saw it. Actually, the reason why I realized that I needed to uh, stop drinking so much caffeine, Jeff Carson saw a vein popping out of my head one time uh, during like kind of an intense committee meeting. He's like, Alex, I think you might have a blood pressure problem. I always thought it was stupid that they check your blood pressure at the dentist, but I had a dental appointment the next day and they checked my blood pressure. And sure enough, my blood pressure was in a horrible place, Mm -hmm. just outrageously high. Um, So went to the doctor, was told I better cut my caffeine intake down. Um, So I've had this uh, barrier now for a long time. You don't want to go, you don't want to drink any caffeine after noon. And um, I I don't drink any caffeine after 10 o'clock usually Mm -hmm. now, uh, but certainly not after noon. And you don't want to drink after 7 o'clock. Um, and I don't really have too much of an issue with that, but I know that a lot of people in our industry have a hard time not drinking after seven mm-hmm. o'clock. Um, I really, we all like to drink from four to six anyway. I mean, it's all about the happy hours. Um, so th- that's one other thing. Okay. Then the next one is really weird. And that's the only reason I'm going to share it. It's kind of impractical for me. Um, and it's impractical for a lot of people, especially in the city. But one of the things that Sean talks about is grounding yourself. Okay, so and and I'm not talking about like sure meditation is something mm-hmm. that Sean talks a lot about as well, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about literally having our feet and our body touching the ground, right? Not the floor, but like earth. Okay, so we are conductors, right? We can conduct electricity. Do you disagree with this, Amber? Amber's like, you're weird. But you know, we can conduct electricity. So like when, um, uh, let's talk about, um, um, you know, we've got all these electric devices around us. I'm not trying to get all woo-woo and say that we can't have our phones near our bodies or anything like that. But the reality is that we are taking a lot of those things in and it can impact our sleep patterns. And one of the things uh, that Sean talks about is actually having our feet on the ground barefoot for like 20 to 30 minutes a day, it makes a huge difference. There are even these sheets that you can buy that you plug into the wall and <laughs> and it's like the only thing that's plugged in really is the ground, huh. right? So it's, it's, So it plugs into the ground. And so then you yourself are grounded and it helps cleanse your body of certain things. It's weird. We don't think about it. But we also don't touch the ground on a regular basis. When was the last time you walked barefoot, Amber? Good question. 
See, you, we don't do it. I can't really do it because I live in a new home construction community and I'm going to get a nail through oh, my yeah. freaking foot, you know, so I can't be doing that. Uh, but it is, um, I, I do, I thought that was really interesting. And Sean's not totally full of it mm-hmm. um, and, and usually isn't super woo-woo, um, but I thought that was really interesting. So that's the one thing about the book that I'm going to continue to explore and see if I can learn more about, but... I'm all about sleeping smarter right now. I think that it's really critical, um, and I think that I took an interest in it just because we've got a baby coming, and I know that my sleep is going to be totally devastated. But I feel a a significant difference in my day-to-day, even when we've got uh, something disrupting my sleep. I've been practicing most of the things in his book, not the woo-woo ground thing, but most of the things in his book uh, pretty religiously for the last three months. Um, So... Uh, and I feel good. I like that. I'm going to have to check this book out and maybe take a walk barefoot. Yeah. A bit. yeah. Do it. Just, uh, uh, you know, be careful. I, I wore my Burks in my front yard. Yeah. In your backyard. front. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, just don't step in the wrong stuff. You know, I know you got dogs, so you got to watch that too. Well, uh, what do you, do you think we're ready to bring in Kip? Yeah. I say, let's do it. Let's get him. All right. Welcome back to Kansas City Real Talk, brought to you by KCRIR. Sean and I are here with Mr. Kip Cooper. Well, thank you. It's it's an honor and a privilege to be here on this this esteemed podcast. When was the last time you were on the show, Kip? Oh, like a year and a half ago. Yeah, it's maybe been a two, second. maybe two years ago. It might have been. It's a long time. Amber, Amber shaking her. It's like 2018. <laughs> it was a long time. It, it was like when the podcast like was in its ago. infancy. Yeah. I feel honored to be here at this moment. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a rare occurrence, but a, a welcome occurrence. Um, and we've got some uh, good and important things to talk about today. But before we get into it, tell us who you are and why what you do is important. Well, I'm Kip Cooper. I'm the CEO for KCRAR and Heartland MLS. And uh, we work every day to just make sure that we've got the best customer service for all of our agents and all of our brokers. Uh, now in 38 counties and two states, we have 900 brokers and 13,000 agents. And you've and, got a beautiful wife, Christine. Oh, my goodness, yes. And, and a, beautiful a beautiful daughter, Catherine. Catherine, she's five. She's going off to kindergarten this year. And uh, it's just an absolute joy to have all of that going on. Well, Kip, so part of that question was, why is what you do important? And what I mean by that is, why do you love what you do and why is it important to you? Yeah, I've I've been representing realtors, I guess, as an advocate for 25 plus years. You know, I got in, I was a state legislator and worked on real estate licensing law and those kinds of things. And, And then I became the lobbyist for the New Hampshire Association of Realtors. And so... The cool thing about that was you go when you go from being a lobbyist that's advocating for a group, um, you know sometimes they don't have the there isn't the best connotation around lobbying or right. or political activism. The coolest thing for me was going from uh, being a legislator to a lobbyist for a group like the Realtors, where every issue we worked on was about fighting for home ownership, for private property rights. Um, you know, these twenty five years. I have gotten to work with the most amazing people. Uh, I think realtors just they they care about people. Uh, they care about their community. They're actively involved. They're the most entrepreneurial people uh, on the planet. They're super creative. Uh, 
especially when it comes to MLS and fines and ways to get around things and, you know, that. But that's kind of a joke. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> they, there is, they are always working at, at really improving our communities. And I think it is, it is the fabric of, uh, of the United States. And we all know, you know, home ownership is one of the single largest contributor to wealth in this country. And we just play a vital role in all of that. So that's what it means for me. I love that. Is yeah. to just get up every day and go, hey, how can I help our members a little bit better? How can we do things easier? And I know sometimes it doesn't come across that way because we've got rules and regulations and things to follow. But they're all in place so that we have fair and equal competition and cooperation and that we're able to, to continue to provide that service to uh, the general public and that we're well thought of in how we do it. I think it's so important to protect the industry the way that uh, you're so focused on, uh, because like you say, it impacts all of our communities. It impacts so many people um, every day. Um, so I'm glad that that's your perspective. I always knew that it was, but um, I know we appreciate everything that you do. So Well, appreciate you. I've got you know the best volunteer members, I really do, and, it's, uh, and the best staff. I mean, we've got a tremendous staff that cares, uh, and you can't teach that. You know, <laughs> you have to hire for it. And, and they truly care about our members and, and what's in their best interest and how they can help them each day. And I, I think in the eight years I've been here, uh, I've maybe said no once or twice, but generally <laughs> I try to say yes. Yeah. And I try to get our staff to say yes. And if we've got to think of things a little bit differently or approach a problem differently for our members, we're absolutely willing and, uh, and try to do that if it makes sense for for the overall organization. So before you came in, Sean was sharing some really interesting statistics about the housing market that, you know, we don't necessarily collect as an MLS. It would sure be nice if we did. We're not going to make Sean give you the quiz that he you gave me. You don't mean to rehash the no, whole thing? No, because I, okay. I right. failed. I okay. failed miserably uh, on this on this quiz. Um, but uh, I think that, uh, I mean, Sean's overall point was that we've got the rhetoric surrounding the housing market, and then we have what's actually happening. So as the CEO... Uh, of the realtor organization, um, what's your perspective on the housing market and what's been going on? Um, let's start in like the last year and then look at the last three months and then look at like the micro level of the last couple weeks. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think looking at the market, you have to go back further than a year. Sure. You know, you got to take the pandemic, an Absolutely. unprecedented situation and circumstance. And even before the pandemic, you've got to take uh, you know, 10 years of the lowest interest rates that we had ever seen in the country affecting, you know, mortgages. So people were able to refinance. There was massive amounts of refinancing that went on to get people the lowest rate possible. And so that set us up for people bunkering, you know, down in their, in their homes, looking to get out of apartments, uh, refinancing it down to the lowest amount. And so now we've got some difficulties in our marketplace because people aren't willing to sell their house because of the uncertainty that all of that has, has created, uh, particularly with interest rates right now. You guys are all aware of it. You know that. But it is – you do have to look at that before we really look at this year's stats and next year's stats. Um, how I have seen things is – you know, we've got some reductions in, in the number of units that we've sold. We've got uh, increases in the value of things. Um, and so it's made it difficult because you've got multiple offers coming in. We have a lack of inventory. It's frustrating um, for both buyers and sellers in the marketplace. But overall, 
it looks a lot like when I take the, the macro look at the stats, it looks a lot more like 2019. And if we put ourselves back in our 2019 mindset, we were doing great. Like it was a very good year for mm-hmm. real estate in the greater Kansas City metro area. Um, so now you look at, all right, how is the increase in uh, in values gone? And if you correlate that with an average commission, we're back of the napkin. We're up about $300 million in commission. So overall, our 13,000 members have, should be doing better than they even did in 2019. Yeah. But it doesn't feel like that because of the pressures. And there is a lot of haves and have-nots. And so you've got folks that are working in models and, and advertising and marketing and working their farming uh, and, and having to, to do things and exercise muscles that they hadn't had to exercise True. You know, over the last four years. So I, I think that's my, my macro look at the marketplace. When I talk with uh, Lawrence Young, the NAR economist, and we look at things moving forward, uh, Lawrence is predicting by the end of this year we could see uh, rates come down to 6%. And that's going to certainly. That's a little up from five and a half, like you were saying originally. A little which, up from five that's, and a half. Probably but a good that's probably for the end of the year, that. and then ne- into next year, he sees it going yeah. down to to possibly five and a half. And that and, and that really depends on, you know, reductions, uh, you know, in the in the Fed rate. So, if that happens in a quarter of a point at a time, you know, you could see rates going down to to five and a half, uh, possibly even five by the end of twenty fourteen. Uh, 2024, rather. So I I think there's a lot more optimism going into next year's cycle. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the things I've been, I've been reading a book, it was uh, You'll Own Nothing by Carol Roth. I know you guys do your book bits and all of that. And uh, what... Kip's book bit. Nice. Nice. That that was Alex this time. I didn't... Yeah. So what... Can you do the Casey (laughs) Rahr thing just really fast? (laughs) The what? She she goes, Casey Rahr. Casey Rahr. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Great. It was seductive. It's it's worth the read. Um, It's not a a huge read, but it's uh, uh, You Will Own Nothing. And it really talks about institutional investors coming in. And so that's another pressure... You know, up until 2010, we really had no significant um, institutional investment in single-family homes. And, you know, we had uh, a lot of purchasing that happened kind of during the recession. And there's 4.6 million homes that went into bankruptcy that got purchased by institutional investment groups that turned into permanent rental. And so there's no, uh, I think there's a greater correlation than what NAR acknowledges or other economists acknowledge that it isn't a coincidence that we're 5 million uh, properties short, <laughs> right? <laughs> and boy, in 2010, we had, you know, 4.6 million homes taken mm-hmm. off of the market into mm-hmm. rental. And so it really talks about that society of turning into a rental society and things that we're going to have to ad- adapt to. Because it isn't just the responsibility of builders. Um, I think our Kansas City metro region and, and greater region is actually increasing our new construction at, at a pretty good clip. And permits are up for new construction. So it is going to take new building and new construction to help us and focusing on new sales. Um, but it's also worth noting, you know, one in five uh, properties that sold were to institutional investors. And that should concern us to some degree as to whether we get into more of a rental market and we look at 
at how that plays in the overall real estate economy. And, and going back to what you were saying, so you know some of these forecasts, looking at what interest rates might be, you know, going into next year, maybe by the end of you know end of twenty twenty four, if we're we're down to five, do you think that is a that will be a motivation point for some of these potential sellers who have been living in their bunker with their you know three percent or lower interest rate? Do you think that's enough to motivate them to then get their homes on the market? It'll certainly be a factor. I mean, you you guys know you're you're there, and I probably could have listed this and why I love realtors. You're there at at people's best points in their lives, and you're there at their worst points in their lives. And the thing about humans is, they move for jobs, <laughs> they they move because they have an increase in their family. Their conditions change, and it's very fluid. And so, the downward pressure on interest rates will absolutely uh, help those changes in life that people are going to go through over the next few years. And they won't feel handcuffed as much as they do um, to their home when a life event happens that that they need to upsize, downsize, move, relocate, whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we've got tremendous opportunity with – we work closely with KCADC – and uh, we're really involved with the economic development for the overall region because you're either – you're really – in real estate, you're either growing or you're dying. <laughs> There's no, like, <laughs> status quo. So we're really proactive in working with KCADC. We provide them a lot of data uh, on our housing stats. Um, we work with them encouraging development, and we hear about these things. And it is absolutely astonishing what's happening to Kansas City. And I, I'm not sure people fully grasp the impact – because we, oh yeah, we had the draft. Great. Well, no, we. It's huge. We, it's huge. You know. Oh yeah, we have a new airport. No, it's huge. Mm-hmm. There's billions of dollars that's going to be invested around the airport area for ancillary services and business, and and it's going to create and has already created um, opportunities for people to live in the center of the country, travel all over in a very short period of time with direct flights and that is a huge magnet for corporate headquarters. Let's let's talk uh, we could have possibly had an NAR convention here in Kansas City but what happened? Well, I'll back up. You know, the let's talk about the success first. We did have an incredible you know, success. We had an incredible success yeah. uh, the first time ever we were able to have the NAR broker summit Amazing. here in Kansas yeah. City. And it was because we had the airport. Mm-hmm. It was because we had the Lowe's Convention Center and hotel built. It was because of kind of our, our leadership team and their influence nationally. And that's also something that our, our general membership, I don't think they know or appreciate how how, how well-respected yeah. we are on the national level. I mean, we kind of outkick our coverage. Right. And that's not a bragging thing. It's a, it's a reality that, that our leadership is really well-respected. Our members are really well-respected for their insights and their contributions, and they volunteer. So because we had this broker summit, um, we ended up having some some conversations with the NAR leadership. They were blown away with how well it went in Kansas City. And they're like, yeah, we should look at doing a national convention here. And so I went back and I started doing the math. And we, get, you know, we, we have 30,000 hotel units, but they're spread all over the region. And there's nothing in the convention corridor that really could accommodate um, something of that size. And so... Uh, so we've th- struggled. We've struggled until there's more, you know, until there's more hotel rooms built in the core, it's going to be a struggle. We've got the World Cup coming up. 
another amazing opportunity. People don't realize each game is like a Super Bowl financially for uh, the economy of Kansas City. We're going to have seven games and one quarterfinal. Is I think what they're talking about. I mean, that's it's going to be like seven Super Bowls that we're hosting uh, with people from all over the world watching this and going, wow, if I was going to make an investment in the United States, that Kansas City place looks pretty darn cool, <laughs> and it's pretty affordable, and it's right in the middle of the country. Uh, so going back a little bit on the stats, and, and I know we were talking uh, before we sat down that uh, there is a spot that, that agents can go to find statistics that have been put out by KCRAR, where, where can they go to, to find those easily? Yeah, they, they should go to KCRAR uh, forward, forward slash stats.com. Uh, and you can go just to KCRAR.com and then uh, search for stats. Uh, and for those who haven't ever done that, who haven't ever taken a dive into those, how often are those updated? Every month. We've got uh, monthly stats and they'll put together a whole uh, report on each of the market areas that we have. So that was something when we started adding chapters, it was really important that that Pittsburgh could have their consistency in their stats. So we have a monthly stats package for Pittsburgh and St. Joe and Warrensburg and five counties. So you can really see and you can drill down to every county. Um, and it's, uh, you know, the, the team does a, an absolutely great job with all that. Awesome. Very good. Well, it just... Is there any chance that we're going to have an what, – what are some statistics that you would like to expand on? So so as an organization, you know what statistics we have. What do you feel is missing? What what more could we provide? I feel like I'm being set up. Like yeah, you we've, are. We've talked about this. So what are, what are the things you guys – again, this is a, a, a member-driven organization. What are the stats you want to see? Yeah. Well, what's possible? everything's possible that you're willing to input. You know, it's, you know that's, that's the, the mystery of, or the not so mysterious nature of data. It's, it's uh, you know, garbage in, garbage out. So if we have um, agents that are willing to share uh, data and required fields that we have, we, we can extract just about anything. So what are you what are you looking for? What do you guys talk about before I came in? I'm trying the to get you to say that maybe there's a way that we can figure out at least how many offers are on or we're on properties at, at you know when we input a sold how many offers do we have or or what the uh, Sean was bringing up uh, the the specific terms um, and being able to track those even are there programs out there that that do that um, and what are your thoughts on that in general? Yeah, I I really love the idea. Um, you know, we we invested in a in a platform recently uh, called Remind, and I hope people are really taking a hard look at that. It it does a great job of farming, uh, it, it does a great job of helping to set prices in the marketplace, and we're really looking at a lot more integrations with that platform over the next few years. And you know, with that, we're looking at how do we use artificial intelligence to actually. Um, work with existing programs that agents and brokers have, and then extrapolating that data, and we could bring that in with permission, but then it, it requires cooperation and permission with the agents and the brokers using that software. Um, we really only have the ability to control the software that we have, and we can work through the MLS committee to, uh, to determine you know, what are required fields and what are not required fields. We've generally kept those to a minimum 
because you know it's it's work. Um, but the cool thing is with artificial intelligence, we're really I see a vision in the future where listing input is going to get remarkably easier because we're going to really work as a a centralized database and platform that then helps you enter in the information. And so the agent will go, one, two, three, Maple Drive. I just took the listing there, and it will pre-populate with every bit of appraisal data that we have, every bit of um, uh, tax data that we have, every past sale um, that happened, every past listing that went in. All that information will be crunched in a second, and it'll be uploaded into your listing input. And your job will be to just, yeah, okay, those lines are correct. So I think it's going to get exponentially easier, and it isn't going to be a manual task of agent input. And so with that, it's going to allow us to be able to extrapolate a lot more data points uh, because it's going to be done essentially for the agent, and it's going to come down to do I grant permission to share that information or not? And do I, do I grant permission within my company or not? So we're not only going to be able to have kind of the, the macro level for all agents and brokers, but we may also have segregated data that just works within a single company, that just works within a single franchise. Um, there's a lot of options coming up for us on the technology front. Great benefits on on AI for, for people, but talk to me really quickly. Where do you where do you see the real estate agent's role with the advent of AI in two to three years? I, I think it's going to enhance the role of the realtor. Um, you know, one of the top things that a real estate agent does is uh, they're able to help a client negotiate all the noise, negotiate through all the noise. And so with AI, we're even going to have more data available to us. And so it's going to depend the, – the, the agent that can harness AI to help um, – micro-target information and the most pertinent information for their customers and clients, they're going to be the winners. And they're basically going to be using systems that do it mostly for them, but they're going to have to invest the time, the energy of learning how do you prompt data, um, how do you organize the data. And and that is really going to create haves and have-nots in our industry. That's the sad truth. Um, I think from an association perspective, we're going to do everything we can to help educate our members. I, I foresee us starting some, some, some classes on chat GTP, some classes on things that, um, you know, I'm fearful of agents inadvertently taking data and uploading it into public domains or public sites and actually creating huge detriment because it actually becomes theft of services so we all think all our data is free and we have access. MLS does a really good job of providing our members with great data and statistics. But when you take that and you put that into the public domain when it's not your property, we actually have some real liability issues coming up. And, and I think it's going to be done accidentally and not maliciously, but it could be enormously detrimental to the company, uh, really theft of services level threats. So you're talking about photography specifically. Talking about yeah. photography, I'm talking about real estate data. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's going to get really dangerous. Uh, I think you know we could have members uploading rosters and things like that, which is not they don't have permission to do that. They have permission to utilize all of our data, but they don't have permission to put it out into the public domain mm-hmm. and have people 
utilize that, manipulate that, and sell that, and monetize that. And that's probably not even going to be our members' intent. I'm worried they'll do it accidentally and don't understand. The photography one is, you know, there's so many new applications that have come out. I want members to be really aware and careful that unless they buy the commercial copy and they have the explicit rights, if they're generating artificial intelligence photos or graphics or designs, they actually could be at risk of copyright infringement and very hefty penalties. So those are the things that we're also looking at to kind of have a an FAQ on what you should do, what you should be aware of, how you can stay safe in doing it because it's an it's, it's like the advent of the internet all over again, probably to a, a magnitude of 10 times. But that also comes with 10 times the risk. Um, and I think, you know, people are just uh, everyone's in a hurry. They see a great tool. It's free. Let's implement it. And then the consequences strike later when I'm I'm talking to 15 attorneys on their behalf. Or <laughs> uh, I, I'm having, you know, ADA compliance on websites is another thing that we're starting to see um, kind of nuisance um, uh, threatening letters coming from attorneys on that. So, you know, we're really trying to make sure that our members are working with their providers to make sure that their sites are ADA compliant. Uh, but we're just constantly looking and getting – anticipating the threats that our members are going to have and trying to figure out how we can keep them safe. <laughs> no, we appreciate it. Well, and I, and I, I will tell you, I, I love that you brought up the point about when you're, even if we're talking about just chat GPT, G, I'm tongue tied now, chat <laughs> GPT. I, when I talk to agents about it and there's a, there's a little bit of fear, like, Oh, I don't know what to do with this tool. And so some of that is just the education on how do you properly prompt an AI to, to get the result that you need out of it. And uh, I did a great demonstration a few weeks ago where I was like, you can, you can ask it for a listing description, for example, give it all this information and then tell it to rewrite it and be funny, you know, or rewrite it and be very serious. And so uh, just learning how to navigate those tools and use them the right way effectively, I, I would love to see uh, some more education come out about that and, and opportunities for that. Yeah, I think we, we do an annual event called Recharge, and that is one of the focuses that I'd like to see our team, uh, you know, it's our volunteers put it together, but I can give them some some uh, direction on that. And I think that's one area that we could really uh, benefit our members is the do's and don'ts of uh, using chat DTV and artificial intelligence. Um, it is so crazy that all of this really has come to f- more of a more fruition since Recharge. Which happened when? When was our last recharge? January? January. February? January. Yeah. So I April. Mean, it's it was been April. the highest. I don't know the stats. So we in might maybe talked it. about it a little bit there, but but it sure wasn't. Uh, you know, we didn't. Ha- people weren't widely using it yet. Yeah, I guess they were. We just didn't talk about it much, did we? Well, it had just come out, and it was like it's. I don't know the stats in front of me, but I I saw some the other day, and it was like the the fastest adopted. Uh, yeah. technology in the history of the world by a factor right. of like 20. I mean, it was like 100 million people within 30 days or 60 days or something like that that were on the, and I'm, I don't know what the exact number was, but it was a, it was a massive amount uh, of people using it. And, and I think to your point, they really don't know how to use it yet. Um, what's going to be exciting, uh, Microsoft's coming out with Copilot. And so all the Microsoft tools are going to have uh, 
that capability built into them starting next year. I don't have to talk to the paperclip again, do I? You it, Well, the, here's the thing. You'll talk <laughs> to the paperclip, but it'll actually do the stuff you want. That's good. <laughs> I mean, it's like we had a chat. We, we developed our new website, and, and we're really moving to make uh, the KCRAR website because it has so much content. It's a massive amount of content in there. You know, if you're a new agent, uh, we've got new agent toolkits, a new broker, we've got new broker toolkits. We've got just so much stuff there, but it's so hard to find because it's a massive directory of information. And so the thought process in developing our website four or five years ago was we want it to learn your behavior. And so you, when you log in and you're a commercial agent, you're going to see commercial stuff. You're a brand-new agent, and you see the brand-new agent stuff. And so it's it's going to learn your behaviors. And we were way ahead of our time in this. <laughs> so some of it was a little clanky, and it's starting to work pretty good. But we invested in a chat bot. Back to your paperclip example, right? And so we put a lot of money to this chat bot, and it sucked. It was awful. <laughs> it wouldn't give any, you know, any great information. We had to go in and tag every individual thing. Well, now we're talking to companies, and – we're going to have a real language assistant that'll be on there and it'll be just like talking to a real person and you'll be able to find all your stuff. And so, you know, we may be able to incorporate that. Uh, It's never going to replace the employees. It's never going to replace realtors. But what it may do is, you know, when I get a, when we get calls at at three o'clock in the morning that none of us are here working, (laughs) but our realtor members are because they've got an issue with the MLS or they've got some service or need we actually will have some capability to service, service in off hours. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll be more productive and we'll be able to kind of go through those needs and wants of our members in a more efficient way. So, I love it. Well, Kip, it just to be clear, it just dawned on me why it felt like recharge was so f- long ago, and it's because I was sicker than a dog at the last <laughs> for the last recharge, so I wasn't here. So in my head, I'm thinking all the way back, like two like, years ago, lo- two years ago, and I'm like, sure. man, all of this since then. Well, yeah. Kip, it's been great to talk to you. Um, Always a pleasure. You know, uh, really appreciate you guys having me on the show. I'm excited. How many episodes are you guys at now? It's like over 100, isn't it? That's like 100 and probably, what do you think? 115? We had our 100th episode celebration. This is 121. 121. That's fantastic. Um, So whatever we can do to promote it more, because I think you guys bring a lot of of great speakers on here, and I'm just really thankful uh, for your participation and involvement in all this. Uh, Bobby always asks a really important last question, though, that we haven't asked. Do you know what it is, Sean? I remember her asking, and now I can't remember what the question is. <laughs> is there, Isn't that horrible? Is there anything that we, that we haven't asked you that we should have asked you? Hmm. You should have been prepped for this question. Yeah, as, an, I, as an avid I, listener there, Kip, you should have been prepped for him getting for this question. <laughs> we have one thing that is coming yeah, up. Is yeah, that you were kind of prompting yeah, you? Yeah, oh, okay, uh, yeah, yeah, just say what you want to say about it. Yeah, you know? so yeah. There's, a, there's a little lawsuit that's uh, coming up. It's a class action lawsuit that uh, the National Association of Realtors and four of the largest kind of franchise companies are plaintiffs in, I'm sorry, are defendants in. And, and the lawsuit really revolves around cooperating commission. And so the argument that the plaintiffs are making is that the sellers uh, are, are having to be burdened because of the NAR rule that they're in an association-owned MLS, 
that uh, we have to offer uh, cooperating compensation. And so uh, because of that NAR rule, uh, they're stating that, that sellers are forced to pay the commissions of uh, buyer agents who are working against them somehow in the transaction. Um, we find that wrong on the facts. We find it uh, wrong in, in general. Uh, we do not believe they'll be successful in the case because we see great value in the model that we have, which is is uh, offering compensation. And, and the basis of that is, look, these are all well documented. Our, our agents are explaining how the commission process works, um, and that it's all 100% negotiable. In fact, in our MLS for the last 20 years, we have the same instructor, uh, John, who uh, whenever every member has had to go through orientation, and when they ask that question, what needs to go in that, that compensation box, he said, you could put a dollar in there, you could put a penny in there. Uh, which really the, the courts and no one thinks is is extremely valuable compensation. Um, and that it really has allowed free market to occur. And uh, so we have, we have hundreds and hundreds of listings that were offered a penny or a dollar or five dollars or some nominal amount. The, the goal of NAR was just to foster that cooperation and uh, to make sure that, that those conversations were happening. So... We'll see uh, this trial starts October 16th. It'll go for about three weeks. Uh, no matter what happens in the trial, um, if the, the plaintiffs win, NAR will appeal. If NAR wins, the defendants win, then the plaintiffs will appeal, and this is going to be a pretty lengthy process. So, I mean, we're talking probably five or six years before we get any real indication about that. I think in the meantime... I really want to caution and, and direct our members, if they get questioned by the media, you know, refer that to our communications team. And I, Kyla here is our, our communications director. Uh, refer them to Kyla. And uh, we've got a team that can answer any question. We have a leadership team that's been briefed on all the issues of it. Um, probably best not to have people flying from, uh, you know, uh, from their seat. On <laughs> <laughs> on answering legal questions that they're not really, uh, really aware of. Uh, we are encouraging our members to, you know, look at buyer, buyer broker agreements, uh, get buyer broker agreements signed. I, I think if the case were to go not the way of NAR, then those become extremely important. And, and that's really what the plaintiffs are, are kind of suing for is they want um, buyer agents to be paid by the buyers and, and listing agents, uh, listing agents to be paid by the, the sellers. So um, we don't think we there, there's no violation of any laws. We don't think they have any real legal grounds, but that's really the gist of it. So uh, get your buyer agency agreement signed <laughs> so that you're protected. Um, and uh, you can go to competition.realtor for any information about uh, the, the case and any information about what realtors are doing in, in the commission process. Man, you're good. Oh, good. I'm glad that, that was, was great. glad that made sense. Yeah, no, it was but, good. It was good. Yeah, it's uh, it's gonna be gonna be a lengthy amount of time. Uh, we've we've provided a lot of data. We, I think, the thing that our members need to know is that we're not defendants. Uh, we were. You'll hear the term probably in the media as co-conspirator, and what it sounds sort of um, nefarious or or. Uh, 
I don't know what's a good word for it, but it doesn't sound good. <laughs> it sounds ominous. Thank you, Alex. Uh, and the reality is what it means is we're complying with the National Association of Realtors rule. And because of that, we were named in the suit as this co-conspirator, but that does not make us a defendant in this. So we cannot be sued for any damages. Um, we're simply cooperating with the court in providing the data and information um, that they need to really determine whether there's a case here or not. So. Great. Well, thank you very much, Kip. And thanks again to Sean for being here and in Bombi's place. My pleasure. And well, we'll see you next time. <laughs>